If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, uh, open it up to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. That's the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in the rack in front of you or near you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, we would love to give that to you as a gift. Just put your name in it, take it with you. John chapter 1, we are getting ready to celebrate Christmas by focusing on a part of the Christmas story that may be less familiar uh, to us. Uh, Most of us are probably fairly familiar with the account that's given for us in the book of Luke, which tells us of uh, Joseph and Mary's journey to, uh, to Bethlehem and how there was no room at the inn, and so Jesus was born in a stable, placed in a manger, and then out in the fields nearby, uh, angels appeared to shepherds and announced Jesus' birth to them. Um, But the rest of the story is not about those details. It's about who Jesus was before he was born, and what he became, and why. And that's the part of the story that the Apostle John tells us in the first chapter of his book. Uh, As we saw last time, and by the way, if you missed it, you can always go to our website, philida.org, and listen to or watch uh, other messages. In John chapter 1, the book tells us that Jesus is God's ultimate message to us. Uh, It calls him the Word, and it tells us that this Word is a person who has always existed, and he has always been with God, and he has always been God. And then it says in verse 14 of chapter 1, and the Word became flesh, became human, and dwelt among us, and we John says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, no one's ever seen God, but the only God, or God the one and only who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. So this is the reason Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the eternal Son of God became one of us to live among us, to teach us, and most importantly, to die for us, all so that we could know God. To know who He really is. To know what He is really like. That... That is the astonishing message of Christmas. And I said last time, it's just one of those things, if you've, if you've heard it many times, it's kind of easy to get sort of dull to it. But we don't want to do that. Stop and think about that. This is absolutely an astonishing message. And this is the question I would like to deal with today. How in the world are we supposed to believe that? Especially if you're somewhat skeptical by nature. Or if you're not, you probably know someone who is. How are we supposed to believe in this this 
eternal word who was with God, who is God, and who created the universe, that somehow this eternal God became a man, that he became an embryo in the womb of a woman. And he was born and he grew up and he showed us what God was like. And ultimately he died on a cross to take away from us God's judgment that we deserve. And then he rose from the dead so that we could have a relationship with him, so we could know God. Have you ever been struck by the thought that that sounds kind of crazy? I remember I had someone in my office one time, and we were talking, and they were talking about their life, and, and it occurred to me, I wasn't sure if they had ever actually heard the good news that the Bible presents. And so I got out a Bible and just kind of was walking them through it. And somewhere in the middle of me explaining, you know, this, the, the thought just went through my head, there's just no way they're going to believe this. This just sounds too incredible. But they did. They did believe it. And I believe it. And many of you believe it. And that's the reason John wrote this book. He wants us to believe it. He wants us to believe. Near the end of this book, in chapter 20, he says that he wrote the things down that he wrote so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's our, you know, that, that's so fundamental to who we are as a church. We want people to believe this. I want you to believe this. We want our friends and neighbors and loved ones who don't believe it yet. We want them to believe. That's why John wrote the book. But how are you supposed to believe that? Do you know what the answer is? It might surprise you. It might surprise you. Because many people seem to think that the Bible teaches that you ought to just believe because you ought to believe. That's it. Just believe, period. It actually doesn't teach that. Not at all. The Bible's answer is not just believe. The Bible's answer is believe because it's true. And you can know it's true because of the evidence. And that's actually, we have that answer right here in John chapter 1. And the kind of evidence that it gives us is the kind we call eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony, and it is huge. We use eyewitness testimony all the time. In fact, you probably believe the majority of the things that you believe, not because you personally have experienced the truth of that thing, but because somebody told you it was true. For example, let's just take a survey. How many of you believe there's a place called China? Just raise your hand. China, okay. How many of you actually been to China and seen for yourself that it's real? Okay, a couple of us, right? Most of us, why do you believe it? You've never seen it. Okay, forget about pictures and what it says in Wikipedia. How do you know there's such a place as China? Well, because somebody told you and, and you, did, you deemed them reliable and enough people said the same thing. It corroborated each they corroborated each other. That's really hard to say. Practice that sometime. 
Um, but it's testimony, eyewitness testimony, somebody who actually saw it for themselves. Or maybe you want to, you know, you're thinking about going to a new restaurant. And so you talk to a friend of yours who's been there. You said, is that a good restaurant? They said, yeah, it's great. And so you go. How do you know it's a good restaurant? Somebody you trust told you. Or you're a student, you're going to sign up for a, a class. And so you ask a friend who had a particular teacher, hey, is she a good teacher? Yeah, she's great. So you sign up for the class. How do you know she's a good teacher? You've never even seen her, maybe. You don't have no idea from personal experience, but somebody you trust told you. And you decide to believe them. Eyewitness testimony. We believe it for all kinds of things. And even more seriously, it's the kind of evidence we use in a court of law when someone's accused of a crime to establish their guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And so people who personally saw or heard or in some way experienced what happened, they give their testimony. They're called as a witness. And then the jury decides what to believe. The point I'm making is that eyewitness testimony is a very common, very normal very reasonable way of coming to a conclusion about something. We do it all the time. And eyewitness testimony is what we have here in John chapter 1 for the very same reason. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. Okay, John has just spent the first five verses telling us about this, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him. And apart from him, nothing came to be that's come to be. And uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So he's describing the word. And then you get to verse 16, and it's almost, or 6, and it's almost like he interrupts himself. And he says, oh, there was this man sent from God. His name was John. That's John the Baptist. That's not the author, John. A lot of people named John in those days. He came as a witness to bear witness, to give testimony about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So it's as if John the author, you know, he's writing, he's telling us about the word, and all of a sudden he just says, he says, okay, okay, I realize, I realize what I'm telling you is incredible. That the word was in the beginning, that he was with God and he was God. And in him was life, and that life was the light of humanity. And this one became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. I know, I know. It's an amazing claim. Okay, don't just take my word for it, though. Let me point you to somebody who saw for himself who Jesus really is. I want you to listen to his testimony. And then like a lawyer making his case in a court of law, he calls his first witness. The man we know is John the Baptist. Now, you see what he's doing? He's answering the question, how can we believe what he's telling us? How can we believe that the word was made flesh? The answer is listen to the witnesses. Listen to the witnesses. Plural because there's going to be several as he goes through his book. He will be followed, John the Baptist will be followed by others. And then throughout the Bible, there are many other witnesses that are called to testify. And I want you just to think for a moment about what that means. Think about what that means. 
It means that the Bible itself gives us reasons for believing in Jesus. And I think that's really significant. I think that's very important. It's important to know that. Because many people today will say that believing in Jesus or believing God is contrary to reason. That believing in Jesus, you have to turn off your brain, ignore the evidence, and just believe. That's not accurate. That's not accurate. The Bible never says, oh yeah, just pay no attention to the facts. Ignore all the reasons you might have for not believing and just believe. No, it's actually the reverse. The Bible says, here are the facts. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what he did. And here are all these people who saw him with their own eyes and heard him with their own ears. Listen to what they say. And you will find good reasons for believing in Jesus. You'll find that you can believe, and you should. So, let's listen to this first eyewitness in chapter 1, and hear what he has to say. So, verse, begin at verse 19, 19 down through 34. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews, the Jewish leadership, sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, well, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they'd been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, well, why then are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Just a little historical note there so you can know when and where this happened. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, and I have borne witness, that this one is the Son of God. So, John the Baptist takes the stand. Your name, John, occupation, Baptist. <laughs> Baptizer. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God? Of course. Well, what do you say? Well, I've seen Jesus with my own eyes. I've seen proof of who he is. And here's what I have to say about him. He's the son of God. 
Do we believe him? How do we decide? How do you decide whether or not to believe a witness? Well, what makes somebody a good witness? Well, above all, you need to know that they're telling the truth, right? The better the reputation they have for telling the truth, the better a witness they will be. And that's why John the Baptist is such a great witness, because everybody knew that John would tell the truth no matter what. So look at Matthew 3, where we have some additional description of John. He lived out in the desert. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Okay, that tells us something. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he, but when many, uh, let's see, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, "You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come?" That tells us something. And then Matthew fourteen three for Herod. Okay, that's the Roman ruler of Judea. Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And that tells us something. So consider the kind of witness John is. You cannot corrupt him with money. He lives in the desert. He wears simple clothes. He eats simple food. I mean, you, you can't offer him anything he wants or needs. And you can't intimidate him with power either. Religious leaders, Roman officials, it doesn't matter. He'll tell you what he thinks, whether you want to hear it or not, you snakes. I mean, that's the kind of language he used. And he's not interested in fame either. Right? You can't tempt him with fame. In fact, here in John's Gospel, we see him going to great lengths to make sure that people don't get preoccupied with him. He says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet that Moses said would come. I'm just a voice telling you to get ready. Yes, I'm baptizing, but there's someone else. There's someone else among you far, far greater than I am. He's the one you need to pay attention to. He's the one you need to focus. He's the one you need to know. I'm just pointing to him. This guy is the ideal witness. And so you can't just disregard him and say, well, yeah, John the Baptist, he'd say anything. No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. And what he says is, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Lord who's coming. I'm here to announce. These are not careless comments. These are the serious, thoughtful observations and conclusions of someone based on their firsthand experience. He was an eyewitness, and this is his testimony. And he's not alone. The rest of this book is full of similar testimony. In fact, John, the author, is also an eyewitness. People who saw what Jesus did and heard what he said, and John sums it all up and says, we have seen his glory. 
glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And, and then you have other eyewitnesses, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, book of Acts, book of Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and on it goes. I only have time to point out one. Here's the Apostle Paul in 1st Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them were still alive when he wrote this. You want to verify it? Go talk to them. Though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Oh yeah, I've seen him too the risen Christ. Listen to the witnesses. Consider their evidence. That's how you can believe. That's how you can believe. Now, I realize I'm not addressing every question people can raise. One of the most pertinent questions, of course, is, well, are these documents historically reliable? And I can't take the time to answer that right now, but there are lots of good books on the subject. If you want a good one, here's Lee Strobel's The Case for the Real Jesus, but there's plenty of others. Uh, Tim Keller's got a couple of books. He talks about it. The documents are reliable. The evidence is there. Listen to the witnesses. That's one answer to how we can believe. But there's another, actually, because if we listen to the eyewitness testimony of John the Baptist here, we'll find he's actually pointing us to another kind of evidence. What he's actually telling us is this. If you really want to know if Jesus is who I'm saying he is, uh, then what you need to do is look for yourself. Look for yourself. I said John the Baptist goes to great lengths to you know, deflect attention away from himself. And he does that by pointing our attention to someone else, to this one, to this one whose coming he came to announce, to this one whose sandals he says he's not worthy to untie, to this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to this one that... John came to reveal to Israel the one on whom he saw the Spirit of God descend as a dove and remain on him. In other words, John is telling us, look, if you're, listening, if you're going to listen to me, look at him. Look at him. You can do that. And so can I. That's what the rest of this book is for. So we can look. So we can see. So many people never do that. So many people are content to make up their minds about Jesus and who he is without ever once actually looking at him. Looking at what he did and what he said, what the eyewitnesses say he did. They're content to just reach a conclusion without looking with anything like an open mind. 
And if that would be you, then I would challenge you. Look. Just look. Watch what he does. Listen to what he says. Pay close attention to who he claims to be. And if you do that, you will be faced with this inevitable choice. Either the witnesses are right, and he is who he claimed to be, or somebody made him up. All the miracles, all the profound teaching, his resurrection from the dead, somebody made it up and fooled a whole lot of people. And I like what John Piper says about this in his book, Desiring God. So here's a quote from Piper. Did some unknown creative genius take an ordinary man, Jesus, and invent his deeds of power and his words of love and authority and authenticity, and then present this invented Jesus with such deceptive power that many people were willing from the outset to die for this fictional Christ. Now let me stop just right there and insert a little aside. Okay, one of the common claims you'll hear is that, well, you know, it's just kind of evolved over time. You know, legends grew up around Jesus, and so that's where, we, you know, um, there's just not time. The documents we have are so early the, this, the, the quote I gave you from 1 Corinthians 15, that's dated like A.D. 55 at the latest. That's 25 years at most since Jesus, or actually less than that. It's about 20, could be 10 to 20 years. after. There's no time for legends to grow up. The people who knew him, the eyewitnesses, were still living. All right, did somebody invent this one? That many people were willing from the outset to die for this fictional Christ. Further, must we believe that all the gospel writers swallowed the invention and in the space of several decades, while many who knew the real Jesus were still living? Is that a more reasonable or well-founded guess than the plain assertion that a real man, Jesus Christ, did in fact say and do the sorts of things the biblical witnesses said he did. Well, you must decide for yourself. To my mind, says Piper, an unknown inventor of this Jesus is more incredible, that is, more unbelievable than the possibility of Jesus' reality. So look for yourself. Look for yourself. The evidence is there. The, the witnesses are speaking. Listen and look. And I believe if you do, I believe if you do, you'll find that you can believe that the Word was made flesh. And I'll tell you, reaching a conclusion about who Jesus really is, obviously, I'm biased. But I am convinced that that is the most important decision you will ever make. 
And if I'm right, then it's worth your time if you've never looked. Look and see. Because the Word became flesh, we're told that we can have forgiveness. We can be clean before God. We can know God. We can know our purpose. We can have a relationship with Him that endures forever. John 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And it seems like what, what we're being told here today is, uh, could lead you to one of several conclusions. Uh, one of the most obvious is if you've never really looked, if you've never really considered the question of who Jesus is, if you've never really listened to the eyewitnesses and their testimony, you can See for yourself. If you've already looked, and if you're here today and you would say yes, or maybe today, you know, for the first time you're saying, yeah, you know what? I, I, I know. I know it's true, and I need to believe. And I haven't yet. I need to. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know his love and his purpose and his peace. And he offers it to you in the person of his son and says, just believe him, trust him, put your confidence in him, ask him to forgive you, ask him to come into your life, and he will. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You can become a child of God today if you want to. Or maybe you're already a child of God, and this is just a good reminder to be grateful, to celebrate, to be astonished by this truth that the Word became flesh. And may it just enrich your celebration of Christmas. And, and maybe you have a skeptical friend. Maybe you could have a conversation. Maybe you could lovingly challenge your friend to, uh, to take a look. Whatever it is, let's just take a minute and uh, quietly pray, and you can pray and Deal with whatever's on your heart with the God who loves you. Let's pray. Gracious, awesome Father in heaven, uh, thank you for making yourself known by sending your Son who became flesh that we might have life. Lord, help us. Help us marvel and be amazed and, and let us adore this one who was born for us. 
And I pray if there's anybody here who just needs to see for themselves, who needs to look, Lord, I pray you would help them follow through and take that opportunity and look, and I pray you just open their eyes to the majesty of who Jesus is. We pray you'd be at work in our lives and help us spread your joy, your good news at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.